If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, as we draw our attention, please turn with me to John's Gospel. John's Gospel in chapter 21. John chapter 21. John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. John chapter 21, verse 1, where the text says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we going with you too. They went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nada, nothing. Father, we pray right now that you would bless your word and use this for your purposes. Help us, Lord God, to gain all that you have for us from this text. Holy Spirit, we need you, and we're depending upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ever been disappointed? Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> I think we can all experience or share from our own experiences uh, one time or two or three or four instances where we found ourselves disappointed. Uh, for some of us, uh, they surround themselves around relationships where we thought that there was a relationship that we entered into that this was going to be it. This is going to be happening for me, only to find our hopes crushed as a result of what we end up discovering about them or the person, if it's an intimate relationship. Other times, our disappointment could come on the heels of maybe it was a job pursuit or a school that we thought, if I could just transfer out of this one and make it into that district, all my problems are going to go away because that's my issue. My struggle, my, my challenges are tied to this district that I'm in or this university or, or this degree or, or this pay grade that I'm stuck in. And so if I could just get out of this bracket, I won't be disappointed, only to find out disappointments could be on the other end of even that. Maybe some of us have a past riddled by disappointments that began in our homes unfortunately, and we don't have the typical or the ideal upbringing with parents that not only made promises but also delivered on them. And so when we look back upon our, our experiences and our past in our family, we see our history riddled by one disappointment after another disappointment, only to leave our hopes crushed. For others of us, we thought that we could escape disappointment by simply becoming an adult. And we thought, you know what my problem is? I'm still a teenager. I just, need to, I just need to hold together for just a little bit longer. And if I could just get out of this season, because they say 
all the problems are, are here and are now. And if I could just make it to, I don't know, you name the age, I won't have the kind of problems that I'm having right now. Well, we got there, 20, 24, 27, 30, I don't know. And we find out, man, 30-year-olds could get disappointed too. 27-year-olds could get disappointed too. And it's amazing how all our hopes can just go down the tube just like that. You know, disappointment is something that is not exempt or free even from the Christian life. Christians could be disappointed too. Sometimes, sometimes we can contribute to that disappointment. We have a a particular situation right here in John's gospel where the disciples are at a point where they're beginning to experience disappointment of their own. Not because they had to. Not because Jesus set them up. You'll recall if you can understand where John's gospel is. We don't have time for today, but John is at a point where he's writing. This is the last chapter of his book. There's 21 chapters in John's gospel. This is post-resurrection Jesus. This isn't pre-resurrection Jesus. You would think these guys have, have been with Christ for a while now, and so they should be up on things. And they should understand what's going on at this point. Now, I understand when when Peter had to encounter what Jesus was teaching in Matthew 16, before the cross, where Jesus gathered his disciples around and had to remind them all over again, now you know, I got a cross awaiting me. This is not the first time I've been talking to you about this, but I just want you to understand that Nothing has changed. This is still part of God's program. So I know it's been good. I know we've liked it, but let's not get too comfortable here because your Lord and Savior has a cross awaiting him. And and Peter says, look, far be it from me, Lord. (laughs) Right? This ain't happening. Time out. I don't like the way this sermon is going. And Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. He rebuked him. He rebuked him as a result of that. And we could kind of sympathize with Peter at that point because, after all, that's pre-resurrection Jesus. But here, at this point, we notice, based on John chapter 20, Jesus has already been resurrected. The tomb is empty. The women have already gone to to the tomb. The news has already gone out. Mary Magdalene has been visited. The disciples, not including Thomas, have been appeared to on the second appearance of Jesus. On the third, Jesus comes to the disciples with Thomas. And here, in verse 1, the text says, after this, after Jesus' resurrection, after this, after Jesus' encounter with doubting Thomas, after this, Jesus reveals himself again to the disciples. Now, what's unique about this particular appearance is what we find in verse 3, which sets the stage. Simon, Peter, says not only to himself, but he says to them, anybody who can pay attention, anybody who can hear, anybody within an earshot, he says, I'm going fishing. Now, if we had the time, context would tell us, you have to understand, Jesus did not leave these disciples clueless about what was supposed to be happening when he died and was going to be buried. He had already told them where they were supposed to be waiting for him. 
a mountain. He had already alert, alerted to them what series of events were going to roll out before it was their time. And what, we, what do we notice? They forgot already that quickly. And Peter not just forgets, but he chooses to forget. And what Peter decides to do is go in a whole another direction with his life. It's interesting, isn't it? Peter's not supposed to be going fishing. I know some of, sometimes we look at something like this and we say, well, what's, what's wrong with fishing? That's not a sin, is it? No. So, so why, why is there a problem? Because. That's why. Because. No, I'll tell you more. I'll tell you more. Because you have to understand, they're going fishing as a result of their hopes in their minds being crushed as a result of what they thought that they were getting when they signed up for Jesus, but now they think, in fact, are not getting. They're disappointed. It's a strange thing, isn't it, how our disappointments could take us in all sorts of different directions with our lives and with our choices. It's crazy. Don't ever allow disappointment to be your guide. Don't ever allow disappointment to be your counselor. Don't ever allow disappointment to be your life coach. Because disappointment will take you in all sorts of directions that God has no part to play in. Disappointment is here, and it's taken them in a certain direction, but Jesus has no part to play with that, and that's the message of this entire sermon this day. You see, Peter right here is going fishing. And the reason why he's going fishing is because that's all he knows. You remember that these disciples were fishermen. And so fishing wasn't something that he just decided. Sometimes we'll pick up something, right? I'm thinking of picking up some jiu-jitsu, right? I'm thinking of picking up a, few, uh, a number of things, an instrument. I'm thinking of, you know, different things I would like to kind of try out for the first time. These guys aren't just picking something up just for the sake of it because they would like to learn a thing or two. No, 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 no. The very thing that they picked up is something that they're familiar with. It's the very thing that they left when they first committed their lives to Jesus. That's going to be important in a minute. And interestingly, strangely, when disappointment rises, it's interesting how you could be away from them homies and from them girls and that part of town for like 10, 15 years, all you got to do is see your life sink just a little bit. All you got to do is see some challenges and struggles. You've been in church. You were volunteering. You were serving. You've worn all sorts of hats and roles. You've gotten so much out of the world, out of your system. You've been a part of the church for quite a minute. And then all of a sudden, a crack opens up in your life. You make yourself vulnerable. And all of a sudden, it's like, you're right there. I couldn't tell you how many people I found. It doesn't take much. Remember times when I was five, six, seven years in my Christian life, and you would have thought, Neb would have thought, that I had gotten it out of my system and I was done. And it's amazing how the stuff that you thought you distanced yourself from be the very things that just, where did that thought come from? Where did that idea come from? Hmm. It's not a first. 
And it just so happens to be no surprise that it was the very thing that you used to do before Jesus came into the picture. And that's exactly what they're going to. That's exactly what they're going back to. It's like, yeah, I'll give Jesus a try, but my life better look exactly like he's saying it is because as soon as I see something different happening, I got the right to bail on this thing. And what Jesus wanted, what he wants out of our life with him is not the kind of relationship that's prepared to follow him only under the conditions that our needs are met the way that we want them, but that he's worthy to be followed no matter what. You see, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is is not that once I become a Christian, once I commit my life to Jesus, all my problems go away and everything from there is going to be smooth sailing. No. They could still be right there in the same way or in all sorts of different kinds of ways. And these disciples are discovering that. And so here, Peter, he goes fishing. I know we look at that and we say, but it's not any one of the sins. It's not like it's a thou shalt not lie or thou shalt not murder or you name a sin that you could think of. It's, it's fishing. What could possibly be wrong with fishing? You're right. Nothing necessarily. Not anything. Unless God has no part to play with it. That's the point. You see, the tree that Adam and Eve were discouraged from partaking of wasn't the tree of the knowledge of evil. It was the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. There are some good things that simply because God is absent are evil. Wasn't that the, the appeal in the garden? It was how, that they, how they could map a life for themselves, decent life, law-abiding life, in the absence of God. Know you not that you shall be as God, knowing the difference for yourselves between good and evil. The selling point, <laughs> the appeal of Satan was not what he just offered them per se. It was the fact that they were able to have a life that God was not going to have no part in. That was the appeal of the life. And that still is the same appeal that Satan is selling all sorts of people. You know you can have this kind of life, and God has, doesn't have to be nowhere to be found. And that's what they're beginning to taste right here. Peter is going back to the very life that Jesus saved him out of. Why? Because God had no part to play in that life. Had no part to play. And so here he is. He's going fishing. Why is this important? Not because you go fishing. You probably don't. But what do we do? What do we do? What is it that we resort to? Maybe it's not fishing. Maybe it's our careers. Maybe it's what we would prefer to do with our Sundays rather than gathering with God's people to worship him. Maybe it's with all sorts of hobbies and interests. You see, don't just simply say, well, well, it's not a sin. There's no chapter or verse that you could give me. Well, you're going to miss a whole lot if that's what you're looking for. That's not enough. Is my life being governed by God? Are my choices and is the direction that I'm going in spirit-led? 
is Jesus behind my decision making? Or is this just something I just came up with on my own? I'm going fishing. I'm going to go do this. You see, what led these disciples to want to be attracted by this decision making was the disappointment that began to rise in their lives. And that's why I said disappointment isn't the best coach. Rather than taking their disappointment and going to God with it, they took their disappointment and made all sorts of decisions with it. And that's what's landed so many people in all sorts of harmful and destructive places in their life. Not because they had disappointment, but because of what they did with their disappointment. Peter would have been perfectly fine had he just taken his disappointment and gone to God with it. But he didn't, did he? He went to the very thing that he went back to. Maybe you've seen people like this. I've, I've seen people like this. And it's sad. It's, it's, it's wood to God that when stuff starts going on in our life and we start feeling the way that we do and everybody sympathizes with that person, that we would take it and, drive, and allow it to drive us to the house of God, not away from the house of God, that we would allow it to drive us into the prayer closet, not away from it, that we would see, allow God to use it to drive us closer and closer into his purpose and will for our lives, not away from it. And that's what God wished for Peter, but we don't see that, do we? How many people started off well and right in the church, but because of one thing or two or maybe three that started happening in their life, poof, they're no longer to be found in the church. You've seen so-and-so late? No, nah, I haven't seen him. You've seen him? No, nah, I don't even know if he... Last I heard, he's, she's, she's there. They're doing this on... Yeah, yeah, they, they... And it's like, how did that happen? Trace it back. There was a disappointment. They had an expectation that if I give my life to God, get my life right, get my home in order, and start doing this, they say, God's way, things are going to start panning out right. And then, boom, one challenge after another happens. Like, wait a second. I didn't know this was supposed to happen to Christians. I gave my life to God. Why is this going on? I'm done. This is a total waste of my time. And what do we do? I'm going fishing. Or maybe it's not fishing. I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to work extra hours. After all, the boss is telling me we got extra hours for you, and it's like triple, trip. it's not just overtime, it's triple time on Sunday. And it just, all of a sudden, it was never as attractive or appealing to us before. It was an easy decision to make. No, 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 I got church. Or no, 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 I got to lead some Bible study. Or no, 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 I got priorities with my people. Or, or I got commitments that are God-centered. But all of a sudden... It's amazing how disappointment has a, a strange way of getting us to look at, they're not new. They've always been presented. They kept getting presented. But all of a sudden, why is it so attractive and appealing now as opposed to before? Because of what I'm allowing my disappointment to do in my life rather than what God wanted to do with the disappointment. Drive me closer and closer to him. And so all of a sudden, God feels, it feels like the church doesn't deserve me. God doesn't deserve. I know I was, I was talking like God deserves this. I owe him this amount of time. I want to prioritize him and put him first. But all of a sudden, the way we start looking at our disappointments and interpreting them have a way of affecting and impacting our ability to see what he wants to do with our challenges in our life. Peter, Peter had the shot. 
Peter had every chance, like the next man, to be able to look at what was happening right now, all the questions, like where's the Lord at? We left him for three years. Come on now. He said there was more to this. What's going on here? How are we going to keep going forward with a, with a suffering and a dead Savior? How can we preach that? Well, didn't he tell you he was going to rise? Didn't he appear already to the other disciples? Didn't he tell you that no, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and then die and then three days later rise? This isn't a new message. And it's amazing. It's like, it's not that we didn't hear the message, just we didn't allow it to register the way God wanted it to register in our lives. And so here he is. He's going fishing because he thinks that's what it is. So what is it for you if it's not fishing? What was it that God saved you from when he first found you? That's what that is. For some people, the very thing that they let go was, was a bottle. And so as soon as disappointment rises, instead of going to God with our disappointment, we go to our bottle thinking it's going to deliver. I'm going to my bottle. I may not be going fishing. I'm going to my bottle. For others of us, we, we got out of dysfunctional and toxic relationships. If you're a guy with girls, if you're, well, it doesn't matter. Um, we got out of all sorts of dysfunctional relationships. And we thought we set ourselves straight and right about that. But as soon as disappointment settles in, it's amazing. It's like, oh, I'm glad I never deleted that contact number. And all of a sudden, we start DMing all sorts of people that we never had no business having any sort. It's been ages since we left. And then all of a sudden, we just drop a message. Yo, what's up? How you been? What's good? And then one thing after another just starts happening. And then all of a sudden, it's like, how am I in this bed with you, in this house, in this part of town? How did I go from one step to the next? And it's like, what? I'm going back to her. I'm going back to him. I'm going back to that. You name it. We resort. Not because God is leading us there. It's not like the Holy Spirit prompted me, some Christians like to say, I was prompted by the Lord. <laughs> prompted. <laughs> nah, you prompted yourself. <laughs> and that's, that's what happened with Peter. Peter prompted himself. Don't, don't go put that, putting that on the Lord. God ain't got no business in your fishing, at least right now. And how do we know? Because at the end of the text, it says in verse 3, they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught what? Nothing. <laughs> Zilch, nada, squat. You name it. They caught nothing. They didn't catch nothing. Hmm. I don't, I don't consider that as a coincidence. That in the very season of my life where I'm not, what did Jesus say? But seek first, Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added to you. They're not seeking first the kingdom at this moment. 
They're seeking all these other things will be added to you first. And Jesus says, don't get the cart before the horse. My job is to put his kingdom first. His job is to add into my life, whether that's a human being, a spouse, a job, hours, pay grade, promotion, you name it, into my life. All of these other things will be added to you. But my job, put my kingdom first. That's faith. That's the ability to trust that God is good and knows better than I could ever what I need. When I put God's kingdom first, I'm demonstrating that he knows what I need. If he knows what the sparrows need, if he knows how to clothe the the lilies of the field in all of their array, Solomon was never dressed, Jesus says, like one of these. How much more? You know that Jesus would constantly say, how much more? How much more? He went to the birds. He went to the flowers. He went to all sorts of stuff in nature. And then he'd come back to you and me and say, how much more? Because you're more valued. You're made in the image of God. On top of that, you're not just God's creation. If you belong to Jesus today, you're adopted. So not only are you an image bearer of God, as though that doesn't give you enough dignity all by itself, you're adopted. You're one of his. You're his beloved. And he's not going to know how much more, how much more will he not but seek first. They lost it right here. And as a result of not putting God and his kingdom first, what ended up happening? They caught nothing. They caught nothing. The same season in my life where I'm failing to put God's kingdom first, I'm also noticing I'm not seeing that abundance I'm not seeing that fruit that he wants to see born in my life. I'm not seeing a life lived that's fulfilled, a life lived that that has undying passion, a life lived that feels meaningful. Why? Because God isn't at the center of that. That's my thing. It's not his thing. And anytime it's my thing, I'm not going to catch anything. They caught nothing. They caught nothing. This isn't a prosperity gospel message where you give your life to Jesus, you, put a, you read your verses in the morning, you'll make a lot of money. No, 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 no. The, the picture, the imagery that, that the fish carry in Jesus' message to us, in them catching nothing, is I don't get a chance to experience the abundant life that God wants every one of his children to have. What did Jesus say in John chapter 8? I have come. Satan came, but he came in order to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that much more abundantly. That's what, that's what Jesus wanted for them. He wanted them to be able to have an abundant life. But that abundant life can only come when my disappointments are not my coach. My disappointments are not my guide. Jesus is my guide. Jesus is my savior. Jesus is my leader. No matter what may be going on in my life. I know this may be happening in my life. I know my relationships may be coming down. I know my job situation may look a little shaky. I know this whole other situation going on in my life may look a little sketchy. But that's not going to prevent me 
from continuing to trust in my God. He is faithful when everything is going as planned, and he is faithful when everything is going in the way that I did not expect. He does not need to wait for me to see everything going as planned to be followed. I'm going to follow him no matter what. I may be in the valley. I may be among the green pastures. He's still my shepherd. And I shall not want. Peter sees himself along with these disciples at a point in their life where they're saying, man, okay, okay. I know I walked away from the faith. I know I told that family and those friends of mine, look, don't even try to get me back. Don't even try to reach me. Don't even try to text me. I'm doing my own thing right now. I'm done with this Christian thing, okay? Don't talk to me. Okay, I got a season now. I'm living my life. But now I got nothing to show for what I've done all by myself. And I realized I thought I was escaping disappointment by taking my life in my own hands, only to discover I just compounded my disappointment. Look at Kanye West right now. It's just amazing to see God's hand in his life and how he took that life that was being spent on probably the largest platform we could imagine and said, I could find you there. It doesn't matter where you are and I'll find you and I'll have you in my time for myself. And now look at this life in the world, in every single situation, interview, they don't even know how to interview this Kanye West. They don't even have categories. They don't even have secular vocabulary to explain this. It's like, it's too soon. It's too drastic, it's too radical, it's too obvious, you're too clear, you're too peaceful, it's too right. It's like, ah, and he's blowing their circuits. Praise be to God. That's what God is up to. Kanye himself even pointed that out. He was like, look, look how much debt I was in even though I was doing all of this without Christ. And then all of a sudden, in the same year, in the same year that I set out to put him ahead of everything else I thought was my priority, I see one blessing after another. You see, he may have gone off. He has a little church in him, and he has faith in him. He has people who've surrounded him, and no doubt people have been praying all this time. And you see it in, in, in every, almost virtually every album. You see traces and whispers of not only blasphemy, but also, uh, <laughs> let's just say it, um, a, heart, a, a life that's seeking and hungry and realizes that's not it. That's not it. That's a cul-de-sac. That's not leading me to anything that I ultimately need. And his life came crashing down with that incident that drove him into the hospital and into the mental facility because his life was at the point of being lost. He almost ruined it because he got what he wanted, his life in his hands, Jesus. He got what he wanted, what he wanted. But when it, what it ended, up, ended up happening? Oh, he made something. He made money. He, he mapped a life for himself that in the world's eyes looks like something, but in his eyes, by God's grace, he came to only find out I didn't catch anything. I caught nothing. 
in all of my catching. Yeah, you, you say because you're looking at this. That's your, that's your metric. But that's not my measurement. If that's what we measure our lives by, okay. But that's not how I believe we're supposed to be measuring our lives by. And if we're supposed to be measuring our lives by what God wants us to, none of us. And that's really the message that's offending his previous world of friends is I caught nothing. What do you mean you caught nothing? Your brand, your Yeezy brand is trending at $3 billion. What do you mean you caught nothing? Look at how many projects you've produced. Look at the way in which you were influential with Louis Vuitton. Look at the way in which you were influential by bringing artistry and production to music. Look at, look at all the ways in which you changed the face of hip-hop. What do you mean you caught nothing? Because Jesus had no part to play in that entire life. That's why I caught nothing. I stopped looking at my life in this world's terms. And I began looking at my life in eternity's terms. And I realized all the success in the world would mean nothing if Jesus was not behind it all. See, Peter just found that out. These men just found that out. All of the success in those waters in the world, after all, these are professional fishermen. So you can't knock them. You can't say, ah, oh, they, they, see these guys, they didn't know what they were doing, playing around in, in spheres and domains that they got no business being in. No, these are professionals. This is what they do. This was their life's business. And they still came up with nothing, with nothing. It's amazing how you could be in your lane, quote, unquote, without God, and it amount to nothing. But what's interesting is it wasn't just Peter who went fishing. What does it also tell us? We're going with you. We're going fishing with you. Don't ever underestimate the influence that you have, good or bad, good or bad. Don't ever underestimate the influence that you have on the people around you. For some people, I'm an evangelist at heart, and I love to see people meet Jesus. I love to see people grow in Jesus. And when I look at people that I encounter in the city, and I'm meeting, and I'm engaging with different types of people, whether they're blatant non-Christians, or they're on their way to becoming a Christian, or, or maybe they're a new believer, there are some people I look at, and I just know, that's not one person. That's not one Someone like, what do you mean? I know if I reach you, I'm reaching a thousand behind you. I just know it. There's some people I look at, I know they're living it up in the world. I know their life is aimless. I know they're all over the place, but I, there's just something about them. There's something about them. I look and I'm like, why are people, you seem to be the, the you seem to be very significant in one sense, but because your life is not in God's hands, we're not seeing what it can all amount to. And I think that's, that's true about Kanye. It's, God didn't just get Kanye. God got everybody who's paying attention because of what Kanye is doing right now. God's not just going after you, friend, who's here right now in this building. It's because of everybody else that I know that if you can just put your life in his hands, in his way, no matter what, I'm just imagining 
how many dozens, how many hundreds are behind that life that I'm looking at right now in this building. But because you're still doing your thing, or because you may belong to God, but you're tempted because of what may be going on in your life at the moment to not want to entrust it in God, we will never know. I wonder how many people we are in community with in this church will never know. Look, I can't reach everybody. If this church is going to be the church that God wants it to be, we've all got to rise to this challenge. We've all got to see ourselves vested in what God wants to do with our lives. You see, Peter failed to realize that that simple decision on his part to go fishing resulted in who knows how many that says, we're going with you. Some of us are good. Some of us are influential, but it's just not leading people to the gospel. It's not leading people to the faith. We're winning people over. Oh, we got conversion stories, but it's just conversion stories to me. I'm winning people to me and what I want them to know about me. I'm winning people to all sorts of stuff. Some of us, if we just started going to the gym tomorrow, I wonder how many people in your circle will all of a sudden make an appointment with LA Fitness and start creating a membership plan. Some of us, if we just decided to go paleo or vegan, I wonder how many people in your world, in your life, will all of a sudden go vegan. It's amazing, but for some reason, we don't want to see how, just how influential in that same way we could be toward Christ and toward God. He said, he said um, Kanye said, from now on, I'm making music for the church. It's like, I saw how influential I was in that direction. I saw what I did when I went fishing and how much of an impact that had on people. But look at what impact you can have right now. How many are ready? How many in this church are ready to follow God in this way, no matter what? Where your life could make an impact, not just for you, but for every single person who's around you. But do you see, see Peter, see, I sympathize with Peter. He didn't see himself that way. I wonder how many people, I don't see, I don't know what you're talking about, pastor. I don't see myself in that way. Peter didn't either, and that was his fault. But just because you don't see yourself that way doesn't mean it's not true. Just because Peter didn't see himself in that fashion doesn't mean it's not true. How do we know? Because look at what they said after he said what he said. We're going with you too. I wonder what happens. I know we gather like this on Sunday, but what happens when we leave this place? How intentional are you at leveraging the relationships that you currently have for the sake of the gospel? That's my question. How intentional are you at leveraging for God's glory all of the, I'm not talking about making new relationships and new connections. I'm talking about just with the people you already got. The people you already got. Peter didn't have to go find new people. No. It was just the fact that the decision that he made impacted the people that were already in his life. And what I'm saying is, look, it's not a matter of whether you're going to make an impact or not. You with me? It's, it's, it's not a matter of the fact that you're going to have an influence or not. The question is, in what direction? Is your life influencing the people? Every single one of you right now 
is an influencer. Get that? Got that? Every single one of you has an influence. I don't care on what scale. Every single one of you here has an influence. You got people around you, you got an influence. That's not my issue. I don't have to lose sleep over that. I don't even have to spend time convincing that point. You do. You're an influencer. You're having an influence. So then what's the point? It's this question. It's this right here. The question is, in what direction are you influencing the people that are presently in your life? If I were to interview them, if you, if you were to die today and I were to do your funeral in this chapel on Tuesday after you've been bombed and all those people that are in your life finally decide to show up at Morgan Chapel, what would I hear about you and your involvement and role and impact in their life? Would Jesus have anything to do with it? Just out of curiosity. Or would it be about you and all of the fishing, quote-unquote, I put it in quotes because it's